Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. You shouldn't get caught in the middle. You should either clap or not clap. Again, the resonating size of my head causes feedback. I don't know uh, how you look at your life. I don't know how you look at your story. But uh, I am prone to make my story the story. Anybody else having that issue? And sometimes I I reflect on that reality because I think we do that not only individually. Like my story, what's happening to me right now is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. This is it right now. And we not only do that as individuals, we do that as a culture. I love getting emails of people telling me, you know, Pastor Dave, are you thinking about the fact that the world is coming to an end and these are prophetic times? And I'm like, maybe. I mean, I hope at some point that's absolutely the time. (laughs) But I wonder how people through the centuries have looked at that. Like, because we think that this is our time and we think that because it's our story that this is the... This is it. This is the story. But we're just a part of a story. We're a part of a much bigger story. And we're going to celebrate for the next eight weeks participating in that story in powerful ways. So we just sang a beautiful hymn, Be Thou My Vision. I'm going to tell you that story in a few minutes, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to get into some new music that's come out here in the last few uh, weeks and months around the pandemic and some things that are getting written and, and, uh, you know, Uh, Once Upon a Song is the title of this series, and the upshot is every song has a story, and so we're going to celebrate stories. And here's the thing that I'm hoping, because I recognize this happens. We come in with our stories, and we gather in a place like this, and whatever is happening up front, we're filtering it through our story. And I don't know, it just seems to me that that's a fascinating thing to think about. (laughs) Because we're singing words that belong to this rich, rich history, (laughs) that have their own story, that we ought to stop and go, whoa, I'm going to be careful when I sing these words because they have a story. They belong to someone. Someone poured their heart out. Something was unfolding. Something was happening. And I get to participate vicariously through this moment. But it's not just filtering this song through my story. This is me participating in a much, much bigger story. And when I do that, it gives me hope. It, it changes my perspective. It changes my vision. And when every song has a story, some of that story is a story of vision and what it means for us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Plato said, every heart sings a song incomplete until another heart whispers back. I'm going to say it one more time. Every heart sings a song incomplete until another heart whispers back. Now, I think Plato had that sentiment that was about romantic love, and I use that quote in weddings sometimes, but I I altered it. I don't think Plato would mind. I don't think he has great attorneys anyway. Every heart sings a song incomplete until the heart of God whispers back. And I think that's what worship is about. I think that's what participating as we sing, as we open our hearts, and I don't know about you, but singing is vulnerability, isn't it? We used to have a worship pastor here who would stand up here on a Sunday morning leading worship and he would have a cordless mic and then he would come down and he would hold that mic in people's faces. Well, I'm going to tell you something. 
that divides a crowd really quickly. I mean, there's nothing that strikes horror in the theater of a human being like a microphone in front of their face, for most of us. Others of us are like, yeah, give me that mic. It's my moment. And why is that? Because that's how we sing. I mean, we sing a lot on Sunday morning like we're afraid somebody's going to hear us. Thou my true word. We go to Swaziland frequently. Haven't been now in a couple of years because of some silly pandemic thing or something. Actually, they won't let us in yet. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, the Swazis sing and dance. And when we go, we don't. <laughs> because there's nothing more foolish looking than a bunch of North Americans pretending to fit in to African culture. <laughs> But I will tell you this, while they sing and while they dance and while it is loud and while it is long and it is long and it is loud, we do worship. We worship in our way. But we, we feel free. <laughs> we just feel free. Oh, if we need to raise our hands or we're just going to sing loud or whatever it is, we just feel free because they're free. They're really free. And then I wonder sometimes, do we feel free? Do we let go? Because this thing of praise, this thing of worship is a really big deal. Psalms 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry and he lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and the mire and he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand and he put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Where is your vision this morning? Is your story the story? Have you prayed and invited and asked God to lift you out of the miry pit, out of the slime, and to give you a new song, a song of praise? Because it has a lot to do with what we're looking at. It has a lot to do with our perspective. It has a lot to do with what we're choosing to see in our world and in our culture. Paul suggests that the church practices a relational kind of heart singing that connects us to each other and it connects us to God. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing to experience? Ephesians 5, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I got a phone call from a friend of mine and he said, uh, would you like to go to a concert? And I said, I don't know. And he said, it's uh, Barry Manilow. And I said, um, yeah, I like Barry Manilow a lot. <laughs> so uh, we went to the Barry Manilow Christmas concert at the Forum, the old Forum. Uh, and I got to tell you, you know, I don't know, Barry is 70-whatever years old now. Two hours, he sang his heart out. One of the most compelling moments was when he was showing a little video of himself back in the 70s, sitting at the piano, young Barry Manilow singing, I write the songs, <laughs> the whole world sings, I write the songs of love and special things. I don't know, older people, stay with me. <laughs> and then there was a choir, like a church choir, and they sang and joined, and then he was joining the video, singing live, and everybody in the place was singing every word at the top of their lungs. And we were all like, my people. 
Some of you have been in environments like that. The popular song and everybody knows it and everybody joins in. I think that's a vision of what music is supposed to do in the life of the church. It's what, the, it's what worship is supposed to do, but there's vulnerability in that. I mean, when you're in a room of, you know, 25,000 people, you just don't seem to care anymore. But somehow, when we're in this space, we're very self-conscious. We don't always lend ourselves to the full experience of what's happening around us. And yet the suggestion is, this is a gift of God to our hearts that draws us together into relationship with one another and connects us into the very spirit and power of God. Psalms 98, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He's remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What a great perspective. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, in the world and all who live in it. That you and I are invited into this experience in which we lift up our hearts and our minds. And now my question is, today when you walked in here, what was your focus? Where was your vision? What is your story? Is your story the story? Because you're invited to participate in a bigger story, in a much greater story. A story in which everything turns out okay. Not because everything's okay. Not because we all get our miracle. But because even when we don't get our miracle, we get the grace and salvation and the presence of our God. Amen? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things. Is that your vision and perspective? Because it matters. It matters where we focus. It starts then to make sense that when you combine all of that story into Luke 19 when Jesus speaks, when he came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I'll tell you, if they're quiet, the very rocks will cry out. And I just think what Jesus is saying is, listen, praise is going to happen. The most inanimate, unintelligent parts of the creation will cry out in praise if we don't. The deal will be this. We won't get the benefit of that experience. And don't you think that's true? Don't you think that, I mean, think about it. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the, that the perspective and the vision of the world is dark. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't run into lots of people who are chipper. I ran into somebody uh, yesterday uh, at the hardware store. And just in those 30 minutes or so, the kind of angst that comes out of almost every conversation of what it means and who's right and who's wrong and the politics and the structure and the pandemic and the vaccines and masks and, you know. And don't you just sometimes want to go, hey, it's going to be okay. It really is going to be okay. I mean, I know it's hard, but God's in control. And maybe there's something going on in your story and in your journey right now. And you've you got to shake yourself and go, I'm looking at the wrong stuff. I'm looking at all the wrong stuff. My eyes over these last few weeks and months have gotten lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And I'm, my insides are twisted up. Because I've started to believe something. I've started to believe that, that people are in control. But people are not in control. 
We're just here for a little while and then we're gone. Our story will just be, you know, what does Jesus say? You're like the grass. You're here today and gone tomorrow. You're a mist. I don't want to waste my mistiness. Amen? But we do, don't we? Because we let little things become our vision. We let little things become the thing that control us. And we walk into a space like this on a Sunday morning to give celebration and praise to the God who loves us, who delivers us, who has been delivering, who has been faithful. And we can hardly get past our own story to, to squeak out the words, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not realizing how important the words are and how transformational they are. The great music of the church is built around the story of God. It's built around the idea of what it means for us to see the things we need to see. 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Is that true of you? Is that happening even as we gather around the word and celebrate it? Proverbs 4.20, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. And I wonder how many of us are like that. Nope, this is not a thought I should be having. This is not a journey I should be going down. This is not where my feet should be. It's not where my thoughts should be. It's not where I should be headed. I shouldn't have that conversation. I feel that anger. I feel that burst. (laughs) Be thou my vision. Oh, Lord of my heart, change me. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to walk like this. I don't want to be caught up in this story. This isn't the story. This is just a little story. I am participating in a story that's much, much bigger than this. It's much, much truer than this. It's much, much deeper than this. Today, as we're thinking about that, music has become such an important part in the life of the church. And I don't know if you know this, but it hasn't always been true. So for a lot of centuries, the church was very content to do Gregorian chants. And I always like it when people say, let's go back to the old music. How far back you want to go? Because if you go too far back, it gets weird. Like really weird. And so traditionally, in fact, for about the first 13 centuries of the church, it was Gregorian chants that were set to words of the Psalms. That's all they allowed. You could pick a psalm and you could chant it. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. That's not a very good Gregorian chant. (laughs) And then the reformers began to come on the scene. And they began to talk about the fact that it seems like the clergy know what's going on and can read the word, but the people out in the pews, they don't really get it. And they started to write new music. It started about the 13th or 14th century. But it really didn't take off until the Great Reformation in the 16th century. And then the reformers were challenged with this reality. Most folks couldn't read or write. 
And we were going to take the great deep truths of God's word. We had two great theological realities we needed to convey. One's called biblical theology. Somehow we had to tell people the whole story of Scripture, starting in Genesis all the way through Revelation. What a task. I'm going to teach a whole bunch of people the whole story of the Bible. They don't read and they don't write, but I'm going to teach them. How would you go about such a task? And the Reformers began to write these powerful hymns that tell the, and if you read one of those great hymns, you'll find yourself starting out in creation and ending up in the future of heaven coming down and a new earth and a new heaven. But they had a second theology they had to teach, a systematic theology or constructive theology. They didn't have to tell the the biblical story. They had to see what it means. What does it mean to be a person who receives the grace and forgiveness? What is salvation? What is sin? How does it all fit together? What does the Bible say about it? It's a story of God's Word woven into these deep, intricate stories. And thank God we had such gifted artisans through the centuries that were able to write and convey this deep, deep story of God and of His victory and of what it means. And the ancients understood this. They understood that when you read the Word, something happens to you. But when together you sing the Word, It gets inside of you. It weaves itself into your heart, into your very being. It's not out there. It's in here. And they found that it wasn't just a practical tool. It was a a mystical tool to sing the great deep truths collectively as the congregation of God welded our hearts together and our minds together and shifted our vision and we came into the place of worship and we saw all the things that were going on in the world but when we gathered in this place and we sang these deep truths it rewired our insides it it rewired our brain we saw something we didn't see before we left different than we came in and the, and the ancients understood the power of this and the celebration of it do we Do we allow ourselves into that sort of space when we enter into a place like this? Are we so caught up in our own story and our own self-consciousness? I mean, I could ask the question and I won't. But how many of you feel like you really sing well? I mean, even if you think you might sing well. That's why I think you online people, you got an advantage. Amen. I mean, you guys have done the online thing. I mean, you can sing when you're online and alone. You can just sing your heart out and you sound good because you're your only critic. Maybe we ought to have more of that, of just letting go and participating in the story and what it means and how it works. When, we started, when I started doing research and work for this series, I, I sent an email out to all the staff and I said, listen, we're going to do this thing. Uh, it started out as we're going to do this thing about hymns, and uh, I can't tell you the, the, the excitement that generated among our staff. <laughs> Eight weeks on hymns. <laughs> Woo. Let's just close the church now. <laughs> so they said, listen, why, why don't we not just do some things about hymns? Let's talk about you know, some modern songs, and let's get some new songs into the mix. And so I said, oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So I said, you know, I don't know a lot of new songs, so maybe you guys send me some new songs. And so one of the things I got was not about a song, but it was about an album that came back out about, about a year ago. It came out as the pandemic was taking hold, and the album was by Bethel Music. It was called Peace. 
Uh, one of our staff members found the album and played it over and over and over in the last year and said there's something truly powerful in the music and lyrics. So I did a little research. It turns out Ed Cash, who was a producer for it, writes these words about the album. The recordings on this album use cutting-edge techniques scientifically proven to heal parts of the brain damaged by all kinds of emotional trauma, like anxiety and depression, abuse, divorce, grief. It does so by engaging both sides of the brain through the gentle panning of peaceful soundscapes known as bilateral music. As you listen, breathe slow and deep and enjoy the healing, peaceful effects of these powerful biblical truths proclaimed over your life. And I thought as I read that, of course. Of course the worship music of God heals our soul. Whatever scientific techniques we can now identify, don't you think the heart of God understood the gift of music to heal the deepest parts of us? St. Patrick lived in the 5th century. We don't know a lot about St. Patrick except that we celebrate his holiday in March. (laughs) In the 5th century, things were rather dark. And there was a particular uh, leader, a particular emperor. His name was King Longer of Terra, and he had uh, subjugated uh, the area of Ireland and had passed a rule, a law. And the law was that no one was allowed to light a fire in their home or in their place of worship until the pagan fire had been lit on the hillside. And St. Patrick struggled with that, didn't like it. And so he chose to be the person who every day would light his fire in defiance of the king and in defiance of this pagan ritual. That story was handed down. In fact, the story was that then the king, the emperor, was so moved by St. Patrick's devotion that he not only did not execute St. Patrick, but he allowed him to continue his missionary work and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That story was told among his peers and followers for many centuries. In fact, it wasn't until the 8th century that a follower and a gifted poet by the name of Dallin Fargale decided to write down the story as a piece of poetry. And so in the 8th century, he wrote a little Irish poem. Now, that poem stayed hidden. It was circulated among the people within that sort of culture and context until, listen to this, the 20th century. In the first decade of the 20th century, someone stumbled onto that particular poem and thought, you know what, this might be nice to translate into English. And so they did. A couple of years later, in uh, uh, 1912, it was set to music. That's the hymn we sang this morning, Be Thou My Vision. It's an ancient, ancient story, but it's a new song. And it seems to me that when you think about the story, that not only does it reflect on St. Patrick and the story of his vision, of what he saw, of what he understood, of where he looked. He didn't look at the politics and he didn't look at the circumstances. He looked to God. It might help you to know that Dallin Fargale, who wrote the poem, was going through a similar time in the 8th century. Soon after writing the poem, he was martyred for his faith. These aren't little stories. We can't casually sing them together. 
We have to embrace the words and the power. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day and by night, waking and sleeping. Thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. My eye reach heaven, joys, O bright heaven, sun, heart of my own heart, whatever befall. Still be my vision, O ruler of all. Every song has a story. And I don't know about you, but when I think about those words and I think about the story, I think, you know, I need that. I need a shift in my vision. I need a shift in my attitude. I need a shift in my perspective. Just a few years ago, a young couple, Jonathan and Melissa Helser, were praying on behalf of a friend's child. A little boy named Jackson had become critically ill, and they were invited, asked to pray as the whole church began to pray for the deliverance, the healing of that child. A few days before Christmas, a text came from Jackson's parents to Jonathan and Melissa. And it said, it doesn't look like Jonathan's going to make it. Uh, Jackson's going to make it. Jonathan picks up the story. As soon as I got that text, I felt like this giant of unbelief stood in front of me. I thought Jackson's going to die tonight and we're not going to see the miracle. But something indescribable happened. While the Hesslers were praying for a miracle, a song suddenly came out of their mouths and they started to sing a powerful declaration against the giant that Jackson was facing. I raise a hallelujah. In the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar up from the ashes. Hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. The song premiered a few months later in a worship service at their home church. Jackson was in the third row. Not everybody gets a miracle. We know that. I wish every time... We sing, people were healed and transformed and changed. But this is our story too. This is our miracle too. And I'm guessing that as we gather in this place, some of you, you're facing a giant or two. And there's a temptation to fear. There's a temptation to let that be the story. 
I'm just telling you, we don't have to. We're going to close in a moment and we're going to sing that song together. We're going to let it out. We're going to sing a heart song that connects us to each other. And by the way, I'm hearing that the demise of the church is imminent. I'm hearing it from people outside the church and people inside the church. I I got an article this week that says, now that the pandemic is over, the church's troubles are just beginning. Well, that's encouraging. (laughs) And you know what I think? We got some challenges ahead of us. We just finished a series called Unclean and We have to confess this. One of the reasons the church is in trouble is because we've acted more like the Pharisees than we have Jesus. But the future of the church is not in the hands of the culture. It's in our hands. It's in our hands and the hands of a faithful God. And the question is, what will we do? Where will we go? We're standing in the face of a giant. And are we going to raise a hallelujah or are we going to act like we're defeated? Are we going to believe that this doesn't matter? Listen, it matters. It matters. Because when you walk out of those doors, there's not a single person that's going to be trying to lift your vision and heal your soul. But the Holy Spirit desires to do exactly that. To change your vision and heal your soul and mend your mind. And that's what we do here. And I don't know about you, but I need that. And I believe that every person that walks around in this community needs that. And that it is our mission and invitation to create a place full of worship and praise and celebration. And the truth of God's word to shift our vision away from our little story. And to become a part of God's great story. Pray with me. God, thank you. We're going to raise a hallelujah in the presence of our enemies. And we don't know who our enemies are except... Oppression, depression, anxiety, fear. We all have our giants that we're facing. We we all have uncertainty in our lives. And our tendency is to duck and cover. Our tendency is to feel defeated. In fact, honestly, God, our tendency is to say, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? Why don't you fix something or stop something or bind something or change something? And I believe you're inviting us to sing hymns of praise and celebration. To stand in the face of uncertainty and to proclaim loud and clear from the depth of our being the truth of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit. I pray that in these moments, whether people are online or whether they're gathered in this space right here, I pray that these would be sacred moments of celebration in which we connect to the deeper story of God in which something heals inside of us, not because we asked for it or thought about it, but because we allowed ourselves to be ministered to by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us freedom. We open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to you, and we intermingle with the history and the story, and we ask you to do your work. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, Amen. Stand with me. Open your hearts. Let's sing. 
Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.